Amen. Well, if I'm honest, Chrissy, you have some amazing pipes on you. Thank you so much for sharing your gifts with us. Our scripture lesson today, if I can find where I put it, from Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. It's a brief, one of the more odd stories in the New Testament. So please listen as I read. On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. The upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps, and as Paul spoke on and on, a young man named Eutyches, sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy. And finally, he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to his death below. Paul went down, bent over him, and took him into his arms. Don't worry, he said. He is alive. Then they all went back upstairs and shared in the Lord's Supper and ate together. And Paul continued talking to them until dawn. And then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home unhurt, and everyone was greatly relieved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Now, before getting into this scripture lesson, I'm reminded of the very first writing class I took. First day of class, we were given an assignment. We were supposed to write an essay titled, My Life. And it was just so we could introduce ourselves to the professor and kind of get our feet wet as college freshmen taking a writing course. And the professor didn't specify how long the essay had to be. He said simply, follow the miniskirt rule. Keep it long enough to cover the subject, but short enough to keep it interesting. Now, I didn't know what that meant, so I figured I could condense my entire 18 years of life up into that point into seven pages, Times New Roman, 12-point font, one-inch margins around the side. You know how students are have to do it. You know, I, I did, I, as long as I gave him proper format, he wouldn't care. That's what I thought. So, well, anyway, this, this professor we had was, a, was an interesting fellow. He was a retired United States Marine officer with a 20-year-long career, and then after that, he was a newspaper editor for some time. So this made him essentially the English teacher from hell. He was not a man to be trifled with. You could tell in his demeanor and everything about him that he was a man who truly never left the Marine Corps, and so I was quite surprised when it came time to turn in our assignments that I looked to the student sitting next to me, and I am sitting there with my neatly typed seven pages, And he has one page, and it's mostly blank. And on it just has his name, the title, My Life, and then a line that said, Last year I awoke from an 18-year coma. That was my life, the end. And at first I thought, well, gee, I might be standing next to a medical miracle, but more likely than not, this guy's a slacker who doesn't take his work seriously, and he obviously doesn't, can't read the professor very well because there's no way I would ever turn in something like that. Now on the back, he had written a little paragraph talking about a, a teacher that he had earlier who had, in his own words, awakened him from the deadness and mediocrity to which he had become accustomed. But I was even more shocked when we got our papers back. And my beautifully written seven pages got a B minus, while the guy sitting next to me with his one page claiming, claiming to be a medical miracle, he got an A. 
And in all the blank space that he left, the professor had written in red ink, son, you've come to the right place. That's what we do well here at the university. When we teachers are doing our job, we wake people back. We, we snap them awake from deadness and mediocrity. And some call it enlightenment or, or the acquisition of knowledge, but we could just as well call it awakening. And it's what teachers do, what good teachers do. And I like, also like to think that it's what the church does. Now, I myself have had the privilege of teaching in front of a classroom and now of uh, preaching up in front of a sanctuary. And in both tasks, I long to see people's eyes light up, to see eyelids fly open, to see the neck crane forward. And and to tell you the truth, I don't always get to see it. But back when I taught English as a second language, I remember, oh, I used to dread the three o'clock class because I knew no matter how good my lesson plans were, they would be absolutely doomed by the zombie-like night of the living dead drooping eyelids that existed at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Now, my high school economics teacher, Mr. Dixon, he, he had a very tried and true way of dealing with this. He found that if he just continued to talk in a low monotone, slowly, and then gently, ever so gently, grab the largest book he could and slam it down on the desk and scream, wake up, that it usually did the trick. But I don't think I can do that here with y'all. As a preacher, I'm going to have to find another technique. Now, a few years ago, Duke University conducted this major nationwide study of students in college campuses all around the country. And and in the conclusion of the study, uh, they they published their findings, and they said that sleep deprivation is a major health concern on college campuses in America. And this got published in a school newspaper, and we all looked at it and said, Can you believe Duke had to spend money to learn that? I mean, all they had to do if they wanted to know that was visit one of their own classrooms, say, about 3.30 in the afternoon, and they could have learned it for free, you know? But it's not just on campus or in academia. Duke could also study our society's sleep problem by studying people in church. See, church is a favorite place for sleeping. In fact, I'm actually kind of impressed. I don't see anybody nodding off right now. That's pretty good. Now, a little over a year ago, I was asked to preach at the Durham VA Medical Center. There's this lovely little chapel in the middle of the hospital, big hospital. And I was glad to have the opportunity. And, and all the services that were done in this little chapel were broadcast on a local cable station. And, and then they were also shown in, in all the TVs in each room of the hospital. And they'd be recorded. And, and the fact that it was going to be recorded was great because I was in a position of needing to impress a committee of folks back home in Texas. And so I thought, this will be good. I'm going to go there, I'll preach, and I'll I'll get a DVD copy of it, and I'll send it, and they'll be so impressed with my work. They might even give me my very own church in a place like Freeport. It's going to be wonderful. So so I went, and and I preached, quite eloquently, I might add. And, uh, you know, I felt pretty good about it. And so I went home right away. I asked for an extra DVD copy, and and I, I rushed home, stuck it in the DVD player, turned on the TV, turned up the volume, and I wanted to see. I wanted to see how it looked on TV. And there I sat in my living room, horrified. For just behind me, and no more than five or six feet to the left, was a guy doing this throughout the entire sermon. And I couldn't even pay attention to my own sermon with that guy there. And I darn sure wasn't gonna send a copy of it off to people that were getting ready to interview me. You know, whew. So anyway, uh, the church has become for many a place of slumber. 
And it's sad because it ought to be a place of resurrection, a place of awakening. Now some time ago I was thinking about doing a, a Young Heroes of the Bible sermon series. Now the problem with that is, is that there's not a lot of young people in the Bible, heroes or, or otherwise. So I'm just gonna have to go with, with what we've got. And so today we got this young man named Eutyches. And he's really, well, he might be no hero, but he is young. And, and he reminds me of some of you and admittedly a, a little bit of myself. And in today's story from Acts chapter 20, Paul arrives in the city of Tros on the first day of the week, that is Sunday, and they join with other Christians for worship. Now that phrase in verse seven that I read, the first day of the week is significant because the, t- the other times in scripture where that's used is in the gospels to name when Jesus rose from the dead. It was the first day of the week. It was Sunday. So when people ask, why do Christians worship on the first day of the week, on Sunday, and not on the Jewish Sabbath, Saturday? And it's because, it's because that's the day when Jesus rose from the dead. And it's because that every time the church gets together ever, every Sunday is supposed to be like a little Easter all over again. The church is supposed to be all about resurrection. And so here in Acts chapter 20, when we hear that phrase, the first day of the week, we know that we're probably gonna hear a little something about rising from the dead, a little something about Easter. And so the story goes that Paul arrives at this church and he's preaching and, and there's just no other way to put it. He's on a roll. I mean, he has come a long way to get to First United Methodist of Tros. And so he is there and he's on a roll. He's gonna give them everything he's got. He gives them the whole ball of wax. He starts his sermon maybe around 11.20 a.m. and he continues, according to today's scripture, and I quote, until midnight. And people have had the nerve to criticize the length of my sermons. Well, Paul is going, he's up there, and he's, he's going on at some length about the doctrine of the Trinity, or he's explicating the mystical connections of the genealogies in the book of Numbers, or, or something interesting, and, and then this young man named Eutyches is mentioned, and see, this is where you all come in. Eutyches in the Greek means lucky, and lucky, this young boy lucky is precariously seated on an open windowsill three floors up, while Paul is droning on and on about, oh, the awfully interesting last chapters in the book of Leviticus or something, and and Lucky justifiably then falls asleep just before midnight, topples out the window, falling to his death three stories below where Luke says in verse nine that a couple of ushers picked him up dead. And so I guess Lucky wasn't very lucky, was he? Now this would be a great time for me to talk to everyone about the dangers of sleeping in church. But that's not what the sermon's about. You see, It's so funny to me in this story that Paul stops preaching just long enough to go downstairs, resuscitate Lucky, and then announce to the others, it's okay, his life is in him. He goes back upstairs and says, okay, now, before I was erupted, as I was saying, and he just keeps right on going. You see, Paul is not gonna let a little thing like the violent death of someone in the youth group or his subsequent resurrection from the dead stop him. You see, he's, he's on a roll, and it's only one o'clock in the morning, so, and so he continues with the sermon. See, Paul's resurrection of this dead boy, is, it appears as a mere hiccup during the middle of his lecture. I mean, here's Lucky, he's, he's brushed off, his breathing resumes, and, and church continues. And the next day, Paul goes and he's off uh, on his mission trip to another city, and Lucky is there, he's back in school with the with a terrible headache perhaps, but hey, he's raised from the dead and and none the worse for wear. But it's so funny how in just a mere two verses, verses nine and 10, we're told that Paul has paused just long enough in his sermon to raise a young man from the dead 
And then church just goes on as if nothing happened. And young Eutyches, a.k.a. Lucky, becomes the patron saint of all those of you who have trouble staying awake and alive in church. See, this story about young Lucky dying and then being brought back to life is so curiously, so oddly brief, so as to say that maybe this is the way church should be, not only then, but now. See, the church, as in this gathering of folks right here, this this community that has been here for so much longer than you or I have, is and it ought to be a place where people come alive, where they are awakened from the deadness and the mediocrity to which they've become accustomed to. And given the brevity with which the writer of Acts treats this story of Eutyches, this type of awakening should happen so often that, well, there's really no need to spend a bunch of time making a big deal about it. It's just, it's just what happens all the time when believers gather together to worship on the first day of the week. I mean, you can just kind of imagine some of these ancient Christians talking to one another after the service. And, so, hon, how was church last night? Oh, fine. Uh, Preacher had some awfully interesting points about Leviticus, but he went on too long. And uh, oh, and Lucky died during the service. But uh, you know, Paul raised him back to life, and so we just went on like you know typical church stuff. See, according to this short story we read in Acts, the church is a place where people gather to worship and they hear about the risen Lord, and then typically somebody seated maybe third row from the back, somebody under the sound booth or something, once felt dead, once in a coma once slumbering in apathy towards the Lord their God, now feels alive and awake for the first time. And so we continue with the sermon. Because it's just no big deal. It's just another day at the office for the church. It's just your average, predictable, everyday sort of raising of the dead. It's just what ought to happen in church. I think we forget so often that the resurrection of Jesus means not only that he is alive, but he's also on the loose. He's here, and then the fact that he is on the loose means that we can get loose. We can get free from the deadness. We can get free from the behaviors and the things that stand in our way and of the kind of life and the kind of discipleship and the kind of people that God has called us to be, what Jesus himself called the abundant life. Because there's just, there's just something about our God that loves to, to wake people up that loves to shake people up if he's got to and raise people up into a new life that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And it's my prayer this morning that this church would be a place for you to come and be made awake and walking in a new life. And for those of you that have found that life long ago, that this time would be coffee for your soul that might otherwise tend towards slumber and apathy towards God, that this would be the place you come to come to your senses, to wake up and realize what God has done for you that the Holy Spirit would move in your hearts in such a way that you would be awakened to him in a new and ever more present way. And yet, all of us, especially if you grew up going to church, can relate to Eutyches on some level because I think all of us, now how many of you raise your hands if you've counted the boards in this roof? All right, I got one. Somebody's honest. Now preachers aren't really any better. We sit there the whole service going, okay, is the screen working right? How come there's an error in the bulletin? Oh no, what's gonna happen with my microphone? We do think about everything else except for the God that we have come here to worship. Or what are we gonna have for lunch when this is all over? When is it gonna be over? Shouldn't it have been over 10 minutes ago? We often feel like Eutyches because it can be so hard to stay awake and engaged in church and our souls have this tendency to slumber. I mean, maybe you went on a walk to Emmaus or to a retreat 
Or maybe there was that one time in your life where, where God spoke to you and, and, it, and to you it felt real and you came to your senses and you learned the truth about who God is and who you are according to him. But then since that time, it's like, it just hasn't felt that same meaningful. It's been distant and it's been difficult. Maybe you're used to coming here and, and being bored to tears. I, I, I don't really know, but it can be hard to stay awake and it can be hard to stay alive in the faith. As I said last week, that Christianity, this whole walk of discipleship is not a, it's not a home correspondence course. It's not a, a do-it-yourself kind of religion or way of life. It's something that you gotta have other people for. You better have somebody to pick you up when you fall down dead because otherwise you definitely will. So we come here to church on the first day of the week and we're often tired, often distracted. Perhaps you come here out of guilt. Perhaps your parents forced you to come here. Perhaps your spouse forced you to come here. At any rate, I think it's safe to say that at least a good percentage of folks come in here feel a little bit like Eutyches right now. And perhaps you come here and maybe you hide behind a smile, but you really feel dead inside. And you're hoping that nobody else sees it. And you don't expect anything to change by coming here. And if that's you, then I want to say not only are you not alone, but you've come to the right place. Because we might not always be awake to the fact that Jesus is alive and moving among us, but this church exists and church itself has existed Because time and time again, ever since the first Christians began meeting on the first day of the week, the church has been a place where people have been jolted awake by the risen God. And First Methodist Freeport, I know, exists today because regular people, people and generations before us, you know, they came here, they stumbled into this place, some of them sleepy-eyed and unaware, and were jolted awake, and they found God here in this place, even in this room. And this community has continued ever since. In my very short time here, I believe this is week three for me, I've heard at least half a dozen stories of people who will say something like, you know, we were just, we were just having a Bible study. We, we were just having a Sunday school class. We were just singing a hymn or, and, and having some fellow. And, and suddenly it was like they were snapped awake and God became something else to them and their soul became less apathetic than it would be before. Now listen, there's... Out of my all four years of ministry, one thing I do know is that being a pastor is a weird job. It's just weird. The more you think about it, the weirder it is. But one of the great privileges of being a pastor, I think, is that I get a front row seat on resurrection. And as I'm here and as I continue to live and serve among you, it is my prayer that you people will show me a lot of resurrection You people will tell me a lot of stories of the way that the living God has moved in your life and has awakened you in new and more present ways. And that I'll be lucky to be here. Because when you think about it, we're all lucky to be here. And so thanks be to God. Amen.